In just a few hours, President Trump will take the 1.3-mile drive from the White House to the United States Capitol, where he will give his fourth address to a joint session of Congress, his third State of the Union. How often will the president cite scientific research or investments in science? And what should you listen for? Should you find yourself tuning in later tonight? I'll try to answer those questions, and I'll play the role of presidential speechwriter myself, coming up on Pipettes and Politics. You know, the State of the Union Address for me has always been a really interesting exercise. It's one of those few moments in American politics where we really get to have some sort of pageantry. I think, for me, maybe it's some kind of repressed longing for the trappings of a monarchy that our British cousins enjoy across the pond. We have a ceremony. The announcement by the Sergeant of Arms before the President enters the chamber. The door opens. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States playing at home the Who is the designated survivor game? Finding out which member of the cabinet is in the room. Watching to see which member of the Supreme Court might be falling asleep during the speech. Really interesting is watching the speaker, Nancy Pelosi, and the vice president, Mike Pence, and how they react to different parts of the speech. Watching their facial expressions. Who stands and who doesn't. Who claps and who doesn't. When they do, when they don't. Yeah, for... For a political wonk like me, there's plenty to watch for during the State of the Union address. So much so, in fact, that a friend from college publishes an annual State of the Union bingo card, which, if you tweet me at BWCorb, I'll be happy to make sure it comes your way. Putting the political nerd of me aside, the State of the Union for President Trump has been pretty much a nothing burger when it comes to references to science and hints at the president's science agenda for the upcoming year. Before recording this podcast this morning, I did some looking back at the President's State of the Union addresses from the past. I quickly performed a word search of the transcripts, thank you, Control-F function, and searched the text for four words that I thought would really maybe capture the essence. Science, research, I went broader then with cures and biomedical. Three nationally televised speeches, three hours and 43 minutes of delivered speech covering more than 16,000 spoken words. Science, research, cures, biomedical. Those four words combined were said a total of six times. Three of those were passing references to American greatness, of which scientific progress was a throwaway highlighted line. Two times the president spoke specifically of cures. Once, talking about the need for an increase in funding of pediatric cancer research, and a second time referencing the administration's views on rising drug prices. By contrast, President Obama's last State of the Union address in 2016 used those terms more than 10 times. And President George W. Bush, during his last State of the Union in 2008, used them six times. 16,385 words. Almost four hours of talking and only six times our words were spoken. Presidential historians will tell you that the State of the Union Address is a listing of an administration's priorities for the upcoming year. A menu of wants, so to speak, delivered usually closely in time with the release of the president's budget for the upcoming fiscal year. With President Trump entering the early days of the fourth year of his in office, 
we now have, in addition to those transcripts I looked through earlier, a record that we can go to and compare. Does the rhetoric, or in this instance, lack of rhetoric, match with this administration's views of science? To court former Vice President Joe Biden, don't tell me what you value, show me your budget, and I'll tell you what you value. Well, if we use this rubric, President Trump doesn't seem to have value science all that much at all. I, write, I reached out to colleague and friend of the podcast, Matt Hurahan. Matt is the director of R&D budget and policy programs at IIIS. You can find him on Twitter, at Matt Hurahan. And he's forgotten more about federal science budgets than most of us will ever know. Matt shared with me a slide that he uses in a lot of his talks. It's fairly basic and shows President Trump's three budget requests, specifically for federal science funding programs. Matt looked at the Department of Defense's Science and Technology Portfolio, the National Institutes of Health, the National Science Foundation, the DOE Office of Science, NASA. Nearly every federal science funding agency has had cuts proposed by President Trump every single budget release he's made. In fact, only one didn't, and that's the DOD's DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Every other program, cut, cut, cut. The NIH by 20%, then 8%, then 11%. The DOE Office of Science by more than 10% every year. NASA by 5%. Show me your budget. I'll show you your priorities. The numbers speak for themselves. And look, we know that there have been increases in funding year after year during this administration. But those funding increases have come from Congress, which on a bipartisan basis has rejected the president's proposal and the president's agenda and the president's scientific cuts. Beyond funding, President Trump's administration has not been particularly friendly to science or to the federal scientific infrastructure. The story of science and the Trump administration is littered with examples of federal scientists and their findings battling with political appointees and their political agendas. Last January, following the longest delay in the history of the position, President Trump finally got around to naming a director of the Office of Science and Technology Policy. He named the former vice president of research from Oklahoma University, Kelvin Drogenmeier, to the position. Drogenmeier's appointment was welcomed by the scientific community, yet it's becoming more and more clear as an observer to the role that the OSTP director has played a diminished role in this administration, particularly when compared to the previous one. Under President Obama, the OSTP director was considered a full-time member of the president's cabinet and provided science-based policy recommendations on a variety of issues during the Obama's eight years. Compare that to the Trump administration. Drogenmeier himself is a meteorologist by training, yet was never in the room or consulted during the 2019 hurricane season and certainly wasn't a part of Sharpiegate, that now infamous map drawing incident in which the president decided to change the National Weather Service's hurricane predictions and the likelihood of it hitting the state of Alabama. Last December, the New York Times published a detailed report on how the administration has worked to reduce the role of federal scientists in policymaking across the administration. Some of those actions, uh, actions include funding to or ending altogether research projects whose findings conflicted with the Trump administration agendas related to energy and environmental regulatory changes. 
Others have included reductions in the number of scientists on staff at federal agencies or appointing people without any scientific background to head scientific programs at agencies. A case in point, at the Department of Agriculture, Secretary Sonny Perdue moved two research agencies from Washington, D.C. to Kansas City, the National Institute of Food and Agriculture and the Economic Research Service, giving nearly 600 employees only four months to decide whether to leave their positions or to uproot their families and move halfway across the country. Two-thirds of those facing this mandatory transfer order left their jobs. Many of those positions remain unfilled today. I've linked to the New York Times piece in this podcast for you to go ahead and look and see. They're really, it's terrific, but it's sobering, the in-depth look that they've made at how the administration has dealt with science. The president's commitment to science, evidence-based policymaking, and investments in scientific research has been underwhelming. And from his first speech that he gave in February 2017, we could have looked at that and we would have been able to predict this. So back to tonight's State of the Union address. No, the president hasn't referenced science very much in many of his previous speeches. And the president's budgets haven't supported increases in science at a time when many of the problems facing the nation really have solutions that are based and rooted in science. What could the president say tonight? What would surprise us and mark a change in attitudes? And if I were writing the speech, what would I say? Those parting thoughts after a short break. This is Pipettes and Politics. I'm back with Pipettes and Politics. This is Ben Korb, the Public Affairs Director for the American Society for Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. So what should President Trump talk about tonight in his State of the Union address? Well, frankly, there's one really obvious topic, which I'd be surprised if he doesn't comment on, and that's the spread of, containment of, and treatment for coronavirus. The spread of the disease continues, even if the U.S. impact is really minimal. 11 confirmed cases at the time of this recording. Now, I can see a conversation regarding immigration and restrictive travel being mentioned during the speech tonight, but I would be excited to hear about increased funding for the public health response and improved prevention activities. It would be great to hear President Trump talk about the need for increased foreign aid to support nations with underdeveloped health infrastructures, given that disease outbreaks don't stop at borders, no matter how many agents or fences we may build. And the spread of the disease could mark an opportunity to discuss why investing in the NIH and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are, no, are important to understanding not only coronavirus, but also future as yet unknown disease outbreaks. Staying in the disease space, wouldn't it be great to hear President Trump talk about how investments in basic and translational research have scientists closer than they've ever been to the development of a universal flu vaccine or a vaccine against HIV? The NIH is currently in phase one clinical trials of a flu vaccine and other scientists. And if you're like me, you've been watching Pandemic, How to Prevent an Outbreak on Netflix. You've seen some of the examples of private researchers that are doing this. They're working hard on developing their own flu vaccine. 
people forget while we're worried and concerned about coronavirus that annually 5 to 20% of Americans get the flu and thousands die every year from the flu. Beyond flu, HIV-funded researchers are working hard to develop and test options for a vaccine against HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. More than 24 million people around the world are infected with HIV, and while the mortality rate of the virus has dropped, in 2018 it's estimated that more than 700,000 people died from AIDS-related illness. Just this week, a British trial was ended after it found that the vaccine researchers were developing had failed. Yet with that setback, we look at 2009 when a Thai trial found a one-third reduction in new infections. Progress is and can be made in this space and will improve the quality of life and well-being of people all across the world. The National Academy of Engineering published a list of 14 grand challenges for engineers in the 21st century, including reverse engineering the brain, engineering better medicines, developing greater tools for scientific discovery. The fact of the matter is there are countless of areas of research and progress that impact the lives of millions, if not billions of people on this planet every single day. Health, security, the environment, energy, any one of these sectors is chock full of breakthroughs, highlights, and areas that need more investment. Great stories, positive stories, opportunities. Any one of these can be picked out by the president to talk about tonight. But if the, tide, if the past has taught us anything, we know that we shouldn't hold our breath to hear, hear any more talk about science tonight. That's it for me today on Pipettes and Politics. If you like what you heard, or if you want to connect with me, I invite you to send me a note on Twitter. I'm at BW Corb. And for more information about what we're doing and how you should also connect with at ASBMB. I'll be watching this speech tonight. I hope you will be too, and I hope you'll engage with me there. This has been Pipettes and Politics.